and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Um, well, I had uh, I had a really good burger from my favorite burger place in town. And other than that, I watched Game Grumps play Paper Mario, and I played Pokemon. So, simple day for a simple man. Yeah, that's not bad. I, uh, I'm drinking a beer, and I just got a whole bunch of new Warhammer miniatures I get to put together. I'm super excited. Fun, fun. Yeah. So, we're here to do our best and worst, favorite, least favorite, however you want to break it down. Well, I'd say a more accurate would just be year in summary as far as movies are concerned. Well, we'll get into that because I don't know. But uh, first, we're going to do like we always do and thank our patrons who make this show possible. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Orion McCann, and Chris Chip. Now, if you'd like to become a patron, just head on over to our Patreon page. We've recently redone the tiers and the rewards, so that's worth checking out. And the best part is it only costs you 25 cents an episode. That is less than a cup of coffee. Your, your money goes towards building the infrastructure of New Sparta. Yeah, and let's be honest, the infrastructure, it's not so good. We had people fawn potholes yesterday. It's a mess. Bridges are important. Bridges are important, especially with as many potholes as we have. Do you know how important roads were to Rome's conquering of the Western world? Anyway. Oh, we could do a whole episode on that, but we're here to talk about movies. Yeah. And uh, Axel and I have very different systems in judging movies and organizing movies. Um. Real quick, my system is, and this is one I got from my father, um, and I've liked it uh, for the most part, and that if a movie, if I've seen the movie for the first time this year, it's got a chance of making it my best and worst, because there's lots of movies I don't get a chance to see, and with certain exceptions, like, um, there's like, uh, uh, nothing that's like 25 years or 10, five years, it's kind of outside that range, but if it's one or two years old, I'll give it a shot. It's allowed me to put a lot more indies in my list. And I personally object to Ulrich's uh, idea of that. I think that a year in summary list, whether it's best or worst, is by its very nature required to have films that are only for only released that year. It's that way you can kind of see like patterns and what the year was. And when you start adding essentially stuff that goes outside of the year, you kind of are putting in variables that dilute the importance of said list. So I personally don't allow that and i will object to every thing you say that comes from a different year but you're allowed to it's your uh, your opinion <laughs> yeah we could do a whole episode arguing back and forth on this axel and i have very different ideas in how we break down our list which we'll get into but uh real quick i'm just gonna run through my worst of the year list and uh it was at number 10 the hitman's bodyguard ryan reynolds and samuel jackson this is yeah, it was boring. It was dumb. It, I didn't make it all the way through it. Uh, Happy Time Murders, the most cliched, boring, run-of-the-mill story imaginable with incredible puppetry. Uh, Tomb Raider, Sagathor and I did an entire buckler going into detail on why that one was bad. Uh, go ahead and watch that one. The Meg, a dumb movie that's not dumb enough. Uh, Ready Player One, there is so much wrong with this movie, and... Oh, we could probably do a whole podcast on that one. Uh, Lego Ninjago, the first Lego movie that really missed the mark. And I don't know why, except maybe it didn't know what it wanted to do. Uh, Baywatch, yeah. uh, Dwayne Johnson's good. 
everything else, this feels like a bad gross-out film from the early 2000s. Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, again, we have a whole episode where Axel and I talk about that gem of a movie. Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. I had so much hope for this movie, and it is so bad in so many ways. And The Disaster Artist. I hate the cult of Tommy Wiseau. And I am not okay with movies that, you know, try and rewrite the terrible things he did and paint him as a hero. That's my top 10 worst. Uh, Axel, any thoughts? Uh, three. I have three thoughts. One, Ready Player One is a movie I actually really liked and I think is actually quite good, as problematic as it is. So I will uh, I'll just have a public noted objection for your <laughs> inclusion there. Two, uh, Lego Ninjago, I didn't actually see, so no objection, but you are the first negative thing I've heard about it at all. So to anyone out there who hasn't seen it, um, know that Ulrich here is in the minority in that opinion, if you're you know debating whether you want to see it. And uh, the last one is The Disaster Artist, which see what I said about Ninjago, um, in that basically you're the only negative viewpoint I've heard about it. And I can hear you clicking. I am Googling the Lego Ninjago Rotten Tomato score. Okay, because, yeah, the Rotten Tomato score is super useful for this. Uh, <laughs> there have anyway. been no negative criticisms. Herby derby derby do. 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, 46% audience. Suck it. It belongs to be bad. I still disagree with you on that. But anyway, uh, the, 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 the Disaster Artist is one of those movies that I love the fact that from what I've heard, people who don't even know or care about The Room still thought it was a good movie. And oh. considering I hate The Room, I don't even like it, ironically. I haven't seen The Disaster Artist, but... It's whatever. a good movie, but I have so many issues with it that we really don't have time to go into today. All right, that's fine then. So I, for the record, I saw 26 movies that came out this year, which, you know, for a non... Like, I don't get paid to do that, right? So I think that's a fair amount. But the bottom 10 aren't all bad. So I don't have enough movies to fill out a top 10 worst list. But I will say that I saw four movies this year that I really didn't like. Three of them I consider bad. And here's what I mean. Number 23 on my list is Teen Titans Go! The Movies, which I didn't like. But I don't think it was bad. Like I didn't like it not because I thought it was bad, but because I recognized that it just wasn't aimed at me specifically and i could tell that like as i was watching it so i'm not really holding it against that particular movie number 24 on the list that's my third worst the first movie that i was like yeah this is actually i i the longer i thought about it, the more i hate it is the incredibles too because i but axel the rotten tomato score disagrees with exactly I and critics disagree list. with you uh okay fine um, you can have that objection noted, but for me personally, like I love The Incredibles 1. I think The Incredibles 1 is actually a masterpiece of a movie. And the Incredibles 2, I thought was just okay when I saw it, and the more I thought about it, and the more I talked to people about it, the more I dislike it. I, it just is disjointed and pointless. Um, my second most disliked movie of the year was Pacific Rim 2, like what Ulrich said. I hated that movie while I was sitting and watching it, and for yeah. a lot of reasons. But the biggest one could probably be that I go to a movie to see, I go to this movie to see giant robots fighting giant monsters. If the plot is full of cartoon characters and, you know, weak narrative, like in the first one, as long as the giant robots fighting giant monsters is cool, I can forgive that. The bar Except, is set incredibly low and they still tripped over it. 
because the action sequences in this movie are terrible. They look terrible and are... It's, oh, there's so much. No, we might have to get Marquis on just to let him rant about that one because he hated that one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, even more than I did. But my most hated movie of the year was The Crimes of Grindelwald, obviously, which... Which, is, we got is, a buckler on that. <laughs> yep, and is in my top three most hated movies of all time. It kicked oh, wow. off my list. So It kicked what off your list? Good Burger, which used to be on the list. So oh, now... Now Welcome my to Good Burger, Homo. The Good Burger may I take you. Anyway, so now my three most hated movies of all time are The Crimes of Grindelwald, The King Is Alive, and The Amazing Spider-Man. So, all right. So, real quick before we get into our top tens, I'm going to remind everyone: film is subjective. What we may think is awesome, you may think is terrible. We may think is terrible, you may think is awesome. That's the great thing about art: it's mostly subjective. And if you disagree with us, cool. Don't you know spew hatred and let us let us know why you disagree with us I, I think that's an important thing right there if you have a different opinion as to to someone to anyone on like a movie don't just say like oh you're wrong or just point to the rotten tomato score um give... i'm just saying you can't <laughs> say oh i don't know about any critics there and the critics are saying i was just that saying that was that, more like, my all... point yeah I, i'm just saying that like Anyway, and you haven't even is, watched it. No, no, I, I know, but I'm anyway. My point is <laughs> that you you can't just like point to a number and say this is why you're wrong, right? Like, say for instance, you liked Incredibles two. Fine, tell me why you disagree with like what I say about it. I mean, I didn't say a whole lot, but a better example would be if we go into like our number one movie of the year and you really disliked it, then don't just say you're wrong, you're stupid, blah blah blah. Like, give a you know, really think about why you feel the way you feel about it and why you disagree with whatever points put across. It's, you know, this is about discourse and communication. That's why I love movies is, you know, if two people love movies, you can really debate them. I mean, Axel and I have been friends for almost a decade and we can still talk for hours about Watchmen. True. You'd think at that point there'd be nothing left to discuss, but how many times? How many times have me and you sat down together and watched it? Like it's in the it's in the double digits isn't it yeah but each time it takes us like 12 hours because we pause and discuss our graphic novel to go now see here this is a one-for-one copy of this scene this is really cool no 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 look his left hand is slightly more forward than his right hand oh i never noticed that before anyway this is the kind of episode that would go on pretty long so let's just cut the chit chat and get to the list yeah, you want to start us off with uh, your number 10 for best? Sure. Or, most, or the one you liked most. Let's not call them best. This is just what you liked most. Yeah, that's that's accurate. The the 10th movie that I liked the most was Overlord, which I talked a little bit about when in a suggestion, whatever episode came out after I'd seen it. But Overlord is a World War II somewhat period piece with zombies, like Nazi zombies. And it's awesome. <laughs> the Nazi zombies themselves are great. The characters that are involved are great. And uh, the the setting, there's the opening scene of the paratroopers trying to get inland of France so they can drop and like the ships being shot down is one of the best depictions of how horrifying I think that must be that I've seen in a long time. But anyway, all that aside, if basically the closest thing to a Wolfenstein movie that exists doesn't appeal to you, then, you know, not for you. But I loved it. Yeah, I really want to see this movie. I haven't had a chance to see this yet and so many other movies because I discovered Fatherhood this year. And getting out to the movies is really tricky. But, no, I was hooked on this one from the first trailer. And unlike Mortal Engines, it 
didn't disappoint me, at least in what the people have been saying. Can I have a side note here with Mortal Engines? Uh, Mortal Engines did a thing that only one of the movie has done in recent memory, which is if you have a movie and you make me, or you subject me to that movie's trailer more than 12 times, then I will now hate that movie on principle. So the same thing happened with uh, Mission Impossible, whatever the last fucking one of those is. But I just don't like Tom Cruise. Point aside, the point is that Every if I see the trailer too many times, I start to hate the movie just because. I oh yeah, trailer. no, that was what was that one where he was a drug smuggler? And it was based on true stories. Oh yeah, I know, I know. What you're ran about. for fucking ever. It's like I don't like Tom Cruise, and I'm going to watch not watch this movie despite your marketing campaign. Yeah. Anyway, Overlord's great. What's your ten? Uh, won't you be my neighbor? So once you be my neighbor, uh, we'll do a little bit of a. It's later on in my list, so but we'll talk about it here now. Um, once you be a neighbor is amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, I loved this documentary. If you don't know, it's a documentary about Fred Rogers, the closest thing America has to a patron saint. Yeah. I mean, seriously, can we? I know he's not Catholic. I know he was a uh, uh, some Baptist. I think, but it doesn't matter. The Catholic Church can use the good press, and America needs a patron saint. Well, actually, what's funny is I think uh, Fred Rogers even though he was a minister, right? Um, yeah. He is almost like a secular saint because one of the great yep. things about Fred Rogers is that he was a, you know, like a Dane minister who spent 30 years essentially preaching values without ever pushing a religious idea, which well, is like brilliant. Well, they were simple ones, like don't be a jackass. I mean, <laughs> he, Fred, he wouldn't approve of that, but that is the quintessential boiling down his message. Anyway, for any any younger people who don't know, Fred Rogers ran a show on public access television called uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, where it was just about this man, Fred Rogers, who'd come home and, you know, he'd put on his home clothes, like a sweater and some nice relaxing shoes. And then they'd go into the world of make-believe through this, like, train that ran through his house, essentially a little trolley. Kind of train. Trolley. Trolley. trolley, thank you. Yep. Trolley. And in the land of make-believe, just there'd be puppets, like just hand puppets, and they would act out these various little morality plays that would teach whatever Fred Rogers was trying to teach at the time. Oh. And he was a brave, like, the show was brave enough to do a lot of crazy things, like talk about what assassination means. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, and sizzling, Axel and I got him near the end of his life. We weren't here for a lot of his big stuff but one of the ones this documentary talks about that i didn't realize was such a big thing was him and his friend who was a cop who was also black washing their feet together during the height of the segregation and the race riots in the 60s well literally also the documentary talks about how that week there had been some famous preacher who went and poured like oh. cleaning chemicals into us some asshole people. i know he's point is point is yeah. that Fred Rogers made a huge, important, impactful political statement with a kiddie pool on his yep. show. Like anyway, the documentary is great, and it's one of those things that it got me tearing up quite a bit. And for, oh yeah, it's very emotional, and it really shows. You know, normally with these kind of documentaries, unearth some dark secret about the the source, but really everyone that you can talk to admits that Fred Rogers was pretty much exactly that good a person. And that's what I love is. I really am of the theory, this is a historian, you go digging deep enough, you will eventually find skeletons in somebody's closet. But no, with Fred Rogers, there's nothing. And yeah, I will admit, this movie made me tear up. And if you know me, 
that's a highly uncommon thing. Now, full cards on the table. The day I watched this movie, one of my good friends had passed that day, and I had lost my uncle a month before. And the specific scene that literally broke me was the movie going, now I want you to stop, and this is Mr. Rogers talking to us. This is my childhood talking to us, saying, I want you to stop and think of someone who has helped you in your life. And yeah, no. The only reason this is not higher is I just don't see myself re-watching this a lot, partially because I don't watch a lot of documentaries, and two, I don't, I'm not in the mood for that emotional vulnerability. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Uh, I I think for me... I don't know if there was a specific moment, but it definitely got me tearing up at like two different moments at least. It's just the way everything is right now. It was nice to be reminded of this kind, gentle, loving man who wanted nothing more than to enrich the lives of children. Yep. And we make jokes about this being the darkest timeline. And in a lot of ways, that's not so much a joke. And I do often think we need a Mr. Rogers today. So, yeah, this documentary was incredible. And I don't know how I'm going to handle the Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> you know, there's this, there's this idea of, yeah, because eventually Tom, but uh, there's this idea on the internet I really like of the, what is it, the, the trio of kindness with Fred Rogers, be kind to your neighbor, Steve Irwin, be kind to animals, and Bob Ross, be kind to yourself. And I would love to see a similar style documentary about those other two. <laughs> Yeah, there's a little one on PBS about Bob Ross they ran for a while. But I want to see like a full big one. I want to see if we can dig up anybody that knew him in his drill sergeant days. Yeah. Anyway, so we both recommend Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's great. Yes. Uh, my uh, number my number nine is Sorry to Bother You. <laughs> I like that movie. Yeah, Sorry to Bother You did something that I, I think less than 10 movies have ever done it for me which is I was watching the movie and I knew going for anyone who doesn't know who maybe only saw the trailers because this movie wasn't very big, right? It didn't get a whole lot of people, but the, the premise is well, it was in a very specific, no, it wasn't, it didn't get a wide release that I know of, but it's more, I'm going to say it had a very specific audience in mind. Yeah. So anyway, the, the basic premise, right? Is that there's this black guy who gets hired at this telemarketing firm that's selling like encyclopedias and he just he realizes he can get better sales by putting on a white voice, which the movie has uh, comedian David Cross overdub him so that it's like very obviously disjointed. So the movie's saying some very interesting kind of subtle things about race, kind of not subtle things about race. It says but, a lot of things. Yeah. But here's what the movie does that get got on my list, because I'm watching this movie. I'm like three fourths through it. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. This is enjoyable. Like with the message and then the movie does a thing literally what happens is the main character walks into a bathroom and something happens in that bathroom <laughs> and i paused the movie and stared at the screen and literally said out loud no fucking way no yeah. they, they can't be serious yeah the last time a movie did that was when i first saw cabin in the woods back oh, in yeah. 2012 so yeah no I don't want to spoil this movie because this is this is one I'm, I think everybody needs to see just because of the ideas it expresses. But, oh man, that ending. Even I kind of went, now, didn't see that coming. I'm, I'm not sure I can keep with you, movie, but it's well done enough. I'm like, oh, well, no, I, okay, I'm in. Let's so see that, where this goes. Yeah, I will, I will, I'll wrap up here in a sec because I want to, you should see this movie knowing as little, so this hits you as much. 
but the the themes and the ideas that it's going throughout the movie the ending turns it from a subtle message into hitting you over the head with a baseball bat and it yeah. is brilliant and i i highly recommend it just for that experience yeah no 100 percent um my number nine is tag tag was fun i didn't think i would enjoy this movie tag was number 16 on my list so um i watched this the same day i watched won't you be my neighbor and mm. I'm going to admit that that may have, you know, been a bit of a bias because I was so just ground down hmm. about after what you've been able like, okay, I need to watch something funny. I'll watch tag. And I love this movie because this really, it's a movie. It's a guy's movie. Well, it's a very specific kind of guy. I'm a sucker for bromance or whatever you want to call it. Guy loyalty, friendship kind of stories. Exactly. And so. that's why this one, I think, worked for me. It's like, this is something I could see myself doing. Maybe not to this extent, but uh, for those of you who don't know, it's about a group of friends that get together and play the same game of tag they've been playing since they were kids. And the whole goal of this last match is to get Jeremy Renner, who has never been tagged. And loosely based on a real group of people who... That's what I couldn't believe was this is actually you know a true story. I'm like, that's really kind of a cool way to keep in touch with your friends. Yep. Although, and, if you start reading the details of how that's a little weird, like how some of the people in reality were like buying tickets to Hawaii so they could avoid the game, <laughs> you know. That's still though. That is, you know, if you got if you've got the right set of competitive friends or you're competitive, with the right things. That's the kind of stuff. And that's what makes such a good story. Is it's so over the top. But I think like one of my favorite parts is the parody of the action films that they keep doing. Like uh, there one scene where they're chasing each other in golf carts and it's ultra serious and ultra dramatic. And you just take back, these are grown men playing a children's game, racing around in golf carts. I mean, my favorite joke got done in the trailer though, which was too bad, which yeah. is where, uh, where he hits him with the cough. So, mm -hmm. and the only real critique I have against this movie is the end maybe goes a bit too far. Well, the end goes full schmaltz, but I thought that... Well, not what I mean, is there's kind of... I don't want to say it's a reveal or a joke. It's more of a joke that's in the movie that almost derails it. It's like, okay, this went a bit too far. Oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I was almost ready to like, oh, you had me, and then you lost Then the ending is really kind of... It, re it brings it back. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because, again, I was so down in the dumps after what you be my neighbor or this one kind of reminded me, like, I can see Axel and I doing something like this. Yep. I mean, we've done plenty of stupid stuff. Those of you that know <laughs> us probably know some of the stupid things. And again, I just this was just a fun movie to me. And it was funny. And I love that Jerry Renner broke both his arms the first day of shooting. Hmm. Yeah, t Tag's one of those movies that it's like, uh, I love you, you know, the same kind of thing as that, where it's like, yeah, this is about, you know, friendship, male friendship <laughs> and the difficulties of that. Yeah. No, I loved it. Uh, a lot of people went on and on about game night. I didn't get game night, but I got tag. Yeah, I haven't seen game night yet. But anyway, yeah, I agree. Tag was great. Um, my number eight is one should be my neighbor, which we already talked about. So you go. You got, anything, well, you got anything to add about that? I mean, well, I mean, not really. It's it was super emotional, made me, and it was great. And I feel like we I, we talked about what we needed to before, so let's move on. All right. So my number eight was Deadpool two, which landed on my list at number eighteen, which is like right at the end of uh, movies that I liked liked. I guess anything yeah. beyond that was eh. 
I really liked Deadpool 2 because to me, it felt like more of a Deadpool movie, if that makes any semblance of sense. Uh, it makes sense, but I disagree. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I am one of the few people that when I like, I liked Deadpool, but I had a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. And okay. I feel like Deadpool 2, I have a lot of problems with this one, but I feel like this is, okay, we're getting closer to what a Deadpool movie should be like an adaptation from the comics. Um, I was super excited that we got Juggernaut because I love Juggernaut. Um, Cable was really good. There's a lot of good jokes. There's a lot of great action. Uh, It just, to me, feels like a better version of the first Deadpool. It's closer to the comics, and I'm really curious what Deadpool 3 is going to be because I've heard they've canceled X-Force, which kind of bummed me out because I think that's kind of a cool concept. Here's here's one of the main reasons that I disagree with you. Uh, okay, closer to the Deadpool comics, maybe because the Deadpool comics tend to have some more like high concept, crazy stuff happening. I mean, there's a reason why Deadpool and Cable are like buddy cops in general, right? Like, that's, yeah. Um, where their first Deadpool didn't really touch. The first Deadpool told a pretty contained story about a single man, kind of a a love seeking revenge kind of situation it was much more contained than deadpool 2 which is trying to sprawl and go into high sci-fi or high concept sci-fi but the main selling point for deadpool is really comedy like he's he's a he's a funny superhero and then you break in the fourth wall meta humor stuff like that and deadpool 2 didn't stick with me uh, like i liked it when i was in it but uh the only jokes i can like the only joke from deadpool 2 that really stayed with me is the domino scene which is brilliant and i love it yeah that one again the how they were able to visualize her power yeah but the point is though that deadpool one like a lot more of it landed a lot harder and stuck with me a lot more so as a comedy deadpool one is much more effective i think and thus a better deadpool movie but that's my view on it i don't know i'm hoping for deadpool 3 and i want to see colossus join the x-men Stop being a sight gag hmm. because Colossus is awesome and he deserves better. Oh, okay. I will also say with Deadpool 2, uh, I love that. Is it Yukio? I think yeah. is uh, everything to do with Yukio is also great. I Yukio. just love the faux outrage that came about her. <laughs> just fuck off. That's that's all I anyway, got to say. On my that point one. though is Deadpool 2 is one of those movies that I saw it, I enjoyed it, it just didn't stick with me. Yeah. All right. You're number seven then. Uh, Avengers Infinity War, which I know, I know, anyone listening, wait, only number seven? That's like a number one kind of movie. And you know what? You're not wrong, but I think that actually speaks for how good of a year for movies this was, that Avengers yeah, Infinity War is only number seven on my list. was an incredible year for film. I had a really hard time narrowing Yeah, so, I mean, what is there really to say about Infinity War at this point? It's, it, I mean, first of all, it's an Avengers movie. It's like the Avengers movie since, because Age of Ultron was kind of a letdown. But yeah, if Infinity War is so was so good. Thanos was so good. It was more. There's so many moving parts, and the fact that nothing just totally fell apart. And people have talked this movie to death, which is why I don't know if I have anything new or interesting to say about it, other than like I enjoyed it. I saw it in theaters three times and loved it every time. Uh, the last time I did that was when Force Awakens came out. Uh, I don't usually see movies multiple times in theaters. But the, the only reason why it's like this low is that 
um while it's funny infinity war feels like an important movie like when the first avengers came out like infinity war really changed things and affected the cinema landscape and for that like it it has respect and it's probably the most impactful movie on my entire list but it just didn't emotionally resonate with me same way six through one did not that it didn't it did emotionally resonate there are just six other movies that did it more <laughs> yeah no that makes sense like i said it was an incredible movie and this was an incredible year for film i'm so happy because we've had so many years it's like all right let's scrape the bottom of the barrel and see now oh, i guess you are passable into the top 10 you go yeah and i feel like if you're listening to this and you have seen infinity war then nothing i can say is gonna make you see it like it feels like one of those kind of movies so i don't think I need i'm to curious much. how you're listening to this and you haven't seen infinity war yeah so let's go on then to your next one <laughs> uh my number seven is uh the shape of water objection but noted go on <laughs> yeah yeah you can object all you want it didn't come to my theaters until after the new year so screw you um i am a huge 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 del toro fanboy like this man can direct a film like nobody's business and even his lesser movies are still beautiful so i have a game that i might have mentioned once on the podcast before but I, the game is very simple you have a fictional world where you eliminate every filmmaker in hollywood all of them except five five directors now it's not your five favorite because these five directors are what the new Hollywood is going to be constructed based on. So it's the five most irreplaceable, idiosyncratic, important directors. And for me, Guillermo del Toro definitely fits in that list. Oh, yeah. I, I want my new Hollywood to have him in it. No, he recently released on Twitter a list of, I think, 17 movies that were in some stage of development that he never got off the ground. And I want to live in that universe where all of those happened. As for the strip of water, which came out last year, but I I saw one it best picture. Well. Yeah, um, it's great. It's the it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's the, it's the fuck the fish guy movie, but it's great. Which I Slagathor makes that joke every time. Like, stop trying to reduce that part. It's like one part. And she's like, it's three quarters of the movie. No, there's a lot of really weird sexual stuff in the movie, but she only has sex with him once. Twice. 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 I just saw oh. it like a month ago. It's twice. Okay. Oh, then I haven't seen. I haven't seen it since you know it. You know, January of last year. It's a good year. movie, and I like that the it's creature an is definitely incredible movie. Goon. But that doesn't stop it from being the fuck the fish guy movie. <laughs> no, this movie. Like I said it immediately after watching it. This is a beautiful, beautiful movie. Just the way the shots are composed and the color, and it just—it's gorgeous. Now you're asking, why isn't it higher on this list? because there i it didn't stick with me like i ranked this how much did i enjoy this how likely am i to watch this again how long did this stick with me and the number one thing that stuck with me is that was a beautiful 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 movie and there's a lot of great you know subtext going on there but i don't like the weird dance sequence that's in the middle of the movie see i do but that's because the movie is doing it's takes place in uh, 1958 if i yeah Correctly, and it's it's doing a very like that's what hollywood was at the time so it's... i know and that kind of comes to my thing is i feel there are caveats that were put in place to get del toro the oscar and i resent that because i don't like uh, i got a whole rant i could go on on the oscars but yeah, everyone can yeah uh this is an incredible it's beautiful 
it just it didn't stick with me as much as some of these other movies and again it's just so gorgeous and seriously give this man more work uh seriously have Guillermo del Toro make a Bioshock movie because that's what this movie looks like to me I still want to live in the universe where the Neil Gaiman uh, Guillermo del Toro Doctor Strange movie exists that would be awesome anyway my number six is Black Panther and whoa, 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 only number six, also above Infinity War, yes, and yes. No, no, you have put Infinity War and Black Panther in your you know bottom five. We are going to get roasted alive, sir. I don't care, my top ones are all uh more, more important to me, and some of them actually. So, better. uh, send all your angry hate mail to Axel Wright 123 Fake Street. <laughs> but uh so black panther why do i like it more than infinity war well actually i'd like it probably because it's a more contained story i like that it feels more uh intimate now the parts of infinity war that make it so great in my opinion are largely the stuff that has to do with thanos's characterization and because it's also this big sprawling movie it doesn't get to do that as much as it might otherwise not really a criticism just a reason why i like black panther more because black panther is a much more contained story about really two characters and their relationships to themselves, their culture, their family, and to each other. And it's and seeing that play out over the course of the movie with my probably my second favorite villain in the MCU, period, only beaten by like Wilson Fisk in the Daredevil show, who that's a could talk about another time. But yeah, I, I love Black Panther. It, uh, it's amazing. Plus, I feel like it is more important of a movie than Infinity War was in the grand scheme of the oh, cinema yeah. scope. That's definitely a factor. Plus, fucking battle rhinos. Yes, battle rhinos. Didn't uh, know I needed that in my life. If Black Panther is snubbed for at least an Oscar nomination, I will be. Again, we talked about how the the Oscars are bullshit, but come on, like Black Panther really deserves it. Have you really seen the advertising it. campaign for Black Panther, the Oscar campaign? No, I haven't. It has T'Challa dressed in his suit and traditional robes and then it says like there's a big banner above him that's like a hero or leadership or something and at the very bottom in small letters is black panther hmm. it looks oh. like an inspirational nelson mandela biopic that seems appropriate considering well it's just like this tells you everything you need to know about the oscars you have to bury what your movie is in order yeah no i understood where you're going with that anyway yeah, i'm no. done i'm done talking about black panther again it feels to me like same thing if you're watching this and you haven't I've I've heard some people, some friends of mine who as into Black Panther because it you know felt maybe a little too Marvel-ish and not different enough. I disagree uh, with that, but I do too. But I'm just saying I've I've heard that opinion eschewed. And... I mean, I have my problems with it, but being too Marvel-ish is not one of them. <laughs> anyway, I have got nothing, no real. Let's see. The only reason why it's not higher is again that the movies that are higher up either were more important to me personally or more emotionally affected me. Like there was no moment in black Panther that made me tear up or feel like legitimately scared. Like black Panther was a lot of intellectual exercises and fun to watch, but it didn't again, battle rhinos yeah. and Mbaku. Yeah, Mbaku was great. Mbaku. But I, I like movies that uh, can challenge me a lot. So anyway, yeah. move on. Uh, my number six was sorry to bother you. Um, Back to I, this. Think, I think we have talked about this movie in depth. Um, I love this movie for many, many reasons. Uh, 
partially because of a lot there's a lot going on here like a lot and i also appreciate at the end it just aggressively shouts its message at you in case you got buried in all of the other stuff also i think sorry to bother you has my favorite final 15 seconds of any movie i've ever seen i don't like the ending so much i go back and forth about that uh i like it because i felt a certain way and then it happened and i fist bumped like i fist yeah so anyway no, this is an incredibly strange interesting movie and i'm really looking forward to what uh boots riley the director does next um again a lot of personal bias about this movie but it takes on so much but that's also why it didn't go higher is it takes on so much and not all of it lands sure like there's a lot of stuff that just it it feels excessive it's like you had so much you wanted to say and it's not all landing and i do feel bad that he got snubbed at the golden globes but if axel and i have made it perfectly clear we do not believe or we don't agree with uh award shows and how they work yeah so yeah please if we haven't said it enough already go see this movie it's on hulu <laughs> yes that's where i watched it Anyway, my number five is Upgrade, also known as the good movie version of Venom. <laughs> I still haven't seen this. We did now, a Buckler review for it, if you want an in-depth talk on it. Yeah, yeah, Wretched and I, we recorded our thoughts on it right after we had seen it, so if you want full information, go there. But suffice to say here that it's a it's near future. It's got kind of a Blade Runner feel for like how it looks, but it's not that far in the future. It just like it's aesthetically very similar. About a, a quadriplegic who gets a, uh, a microchip implanted in his spine that allows him to control, you know, move his body, but also means he now has an AI that talks to him in his brain. And the main conceit of the movie is that when necessary, he can authorize the the AI to take command of his body and operate it autonomously so you have these action scenes where he's like fighting people and from the neck down it's like perfect movements that are very like awkward or interesting because they're the you know they're perfect like robotic movements but from the neck up you've got a guy who's obviously terrified of what his body is doing and it's really surreal but that would only get it on a good movie list what makes it really high up on my list is first of all the ending which is amazing and it plays around with a lot of interesting ideas about what is humanity, what is shared existence, reality, perception, and a, just a lot of super interesting concepts. It's it is a B movie, like it is not trying to be anything else than a really really good B movie, but it is basically the best B movie I've seen in a long time. So, real quick question: Would yeah. you opt for this to have like an AI put in your head if it meant you could kick ass kung fu style? No. But uh, see the movie before you ask that question. All right. I know it's on Netflix. I know I need to watch it, but there's so yes. much to watch right now. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of coming in a killing machine. Yeah, see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good Venom. Um, let's see. My number five, a futile and stupid gesture. That's about the, um, the fucking guys who did the National Lampoon? Yes, the foundation and birth of National Lampoon. And by the way, all the insanity that that led to. By the way, side note, I've been told that I curse a little too much. I'm sorry. I keep, I'm trying to curb it, but I got the mouth of a sailor. What can I say? All right, go on. <laughs> uh, I love this movie. This was uh, Netflix stumbled upon, and I did not know anything about the whole National Lampoon. I didn't even know the magazine. 
did not know any of that. Um, I knew it from Christmas Vacation, Animal House, and Groundhog Day. Not Groundhog Day, uh, Caddyshack. I have zero to say about this. I didn't even know about it. So you go ahead. Uh, you need to see this movie because, one, the less you know about the whole history of this, the better. But it is also, it's a hilarious movie. And it's based so much on true stories. They do have a segment where they bring up the following things are incorrect. You know, we made up for the movie, but that's it. And they're all minor things. But one of my favorite jokes is they had a bomb sent to them at the office where they're writing because of an offensive joke. And the guy is arguing with the bomb squad. No, this is my bomb. I get to keep it. It was sent to me. Sir, stop shaking the bomb. It's my bomb. I can shake it if I want to. Sir, you're destabilizing the nitroglycerin. Oh, okay. This is your bomb now. Um, there's a lot of great comedians in it, but the best part is it's this examination of a self-destructive comedian. Like it really doesn't pull any punches about uh, the founder of this uh, of a national lampoon and the way he was. Uh, it's also this great, you know, uh, all the story of you know uh, James Belushi and uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name real quick. Chevy Chase and so many of these great comedians and the founding of SNL and how much he hated SNL because he came up with the idea, but he was lost on a drug trip or something and he didn't, you know, get the idea. And just it's a really funny movie with an incredible gut punch of an ending. And like I said, I really enjoy it because of the examination of a self-destructive personality. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I mean, it just makes me think of Titus, which was a show, not a movie. But... So much like Titus in a lot of ways. A lot more drugs, though. Like, a lot more drugs. But this was the 80s. And again, you you got Jim Belushi or James Belushi. You know what's going on. And Chevy Chase. Oh, the best part was, uh, for fans of Community, I'm blanking on his name now, but the guy that played... Oh, I'm blanking on all the names. All right, okay. come back to me. All right. Well, anyway, my next movie is you were never really here now in all fairness this movie was technically a 2017 movie it was in march of 2018 in a wide release it was just like on circuit for that so i'm counting it as a 2018 movie but i object go ahead anyway <laughs> you, were, you were never really here is the most emotionally racking movie i saw this year and i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of never it the i've heard of it only because everyone's talking about their top 10 list yeah so it's a movie about uh joaquin phoenix very damaged individual and the the nature of his damage is revealed slowly over the course of the film but he's he's has this occupation or this job whatever you want to call it where people who get their children most likely just their daughters but their children kidnapped they hire him to get them back knowing that he's very brutal about it like that's that's the premise right but uh oh oh okay i i remember what so so one of the like this movie first of all is the most violently non-violent or the most non-violently violent scene i'm not sure how to phrase this but let me put this way the the first time we see him actually go on a a job essentially his weapon of choice is a ball peen hammer and we see him beating a man to death, but we don't see the man. Cause it's like the camera is in a, a security camera and he's beating a man in a doorway on the other side of the doorway. So you just see him and hammer 
back and forth, but you don't actually see the person he's hitting. And that kind of stuff happens over and over where something really violent happens, but we only get glimpses of it, like a little bit. Like the movie's Sometimes going really- that's all you need. Yeah, well, because the movie is not glorifying the violence at all. It's not glamorizing it. it. Even like the one time in the movie where literally I said out loud, oh yeah, kill them, because I wanted- <laughs> that's on the internet now yeah yeah. well you'll understand when you see it it walks into a house and someone is dead and i was like oh they deserve to die oh i know what this movie's about now i remember the big uh hooking point i know exactly what you're talking about point is when this scene happens and the movie is like constructed so that you're gonna feel that way uh it then repays that by saying hey see how you just felt and how fucked up that is like the the movie really is good at saying like everyone you know is the same on their deathbed essentially and it it hmm. does a lot there's a that. yeah there's a scene it does later on in the movie where someone is in water that is one of the that is the most beautiful single shot i saw all year like it it was it looked like the kind of thing that should be a painting it was the most beautifully gorgeous single screenshot Anyway, uh, you were never here is a tight 90 minutes, so it's not overly long. It's pretty short, but and it's really emotionally difficult, but it's really worth seeing if you like challenging material. Yeah, that's what I've heard. It's a really hard movie to watch. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix kills it in this role. The, uh, one thing that this movie also taught me, I love it can give you information, a lot of information, with something really tiny. For instance, the movie doesn't come out and say, where the main character joe got his skills to do what he does but there's a scene early on where he goes and on his um like his counter or not his counter, like the living room uh dresser there's a picture of him in a navy outfit like you know the classic navy picture and like that's it but it's enough it's that little it's not even the camera doesn't focus on it but it's right there framed in the shot it's like oh he was in the military and that tells you all you need to know that's how he's good enough to do what he does so all right. Uh, real quick before we move on to my number four, uh, Joe McHale, who plays Jeff on Community, plays Chevy Chase in uh, Feudal and Stupid Gesture. Which <laughs> if you know anything about what's going on behind the scenes, that is perfect. Anyway, so. um, I'll also say You're Never Here is the, uh, is the least seen, but deserves to be seen the most. Like the disparity, you know? So Yeah. No, I, I know a lot of people are talking about it. I... I don't know if I can, I'll, I'll watch it because it sounds I can say it's a bit heavy for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a really heavy movie, definitely. And again, if you know me, you know that's saying something. Uh, my number four, Black Klansman. Holy, that's non-dirty expletive. <laughs> that's number thirteen on my. Um, full disclosure: I do not like Spike Lee. I feel he is very heavy-handed as a director. And I love how my dad puts it, because he's a huge Spike Lee fan. He said he's very angry, and it shows in his movies. Oh, yeah, super angry. And he has every right to be angry, but sometimes that's not that's not what I want in my movies. I don't want you shouting at me the entire movie. And this movie, we talked about it uh, previously with Chris, feels very subdued for a Spike Lee movie. Until um, the end. Oh, the end. We'll get to the end. Um, uh, so for those of you who don't know, this is about a Colorado police officer who infiltrates the KKK in the 70s. The movie is set in the 70s. By the way, this is very loosely based on a true story. This is key because some people are saying, oh, but not to the same degree. It, the I've, actual... 
the actual events took place in 1989, I believe, but this movie yeah. jumps it back to the 70s for thematic purposes. There's also a whole, there's like a plot later on about uh, plot. Yeah, well, about like an attack that wasn't real, but the key points are adapted because I looked it up because I wanted to know how much. Anyway, there, that's fine. Um, yeah, so this is about a police officer who infiltrates the KKK through talking with David Duke, the head of the KKK, pretending to be a white man who is interested in joining, and then he has, he's a black man, so he has to find a white man to pose as him and insert Adam Driver. Now, to be fair, I have not been the biggest fan of Adam Driver. I haven't really seen anything that makes me go, oh yeah, this guy is an incredible acting talent until this movie. This movie 100% sold me on Adam Driver as a legitimate, you know, Hollywood star. I agree with that. At the time uh, when we did our episode, I had, and Chris was talking about like what he really liked with this movie. And I have to say, uh, Chris, you're right. Now that I have seen it, it, I did really enjoy it. And Adam Driver specifically, there's a, a scene where he's talking with the main character about his Jewish faith and his relationship with it. And it was probably my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, God, yes. And I mean, we again, we talked about this, Chris, and there's a couple, you know, little uh, Spike Lee jabs, like, we're going to make America great again, and we would never elect a white supremacist to president. Little jabs that, you know, you're like, okay, but it is paced so well, this movie flies by, and uh, congratulations to Denzel Washington, this is his, like, first breakout role, which I didn't realize until I checked the IMDb, because I was watching this, I was like, he looks familiar. I'm like, yeah, he does, but who is he? And we looked it up afterwards, like, oh my god, that's Denzel Washington's son. Um, this is a very good movie about getting its point across without feeling needlessly in your face. And, also, uh, uh, as I put before, I love seeing Topher Grace in good stuff because oh, I man. I grew up I grew up on that '70s show, so I have yeah. I think we, the majority of us did because that was an awesome show. Yeah, but my point is, I like to see those those actors succeed just because of that. And Topher had a, a run of not great movies, and I think and it this... took a while to figure out what he was going to be, other than skinny the kid he was, Eric from that seven. Yeah, well, it's funny because it seems like some of his his like when he was in Predators, for instance, are um, nasally kind of persona to be creepy. And in this movie, he plays David Duke, the old Grand Wizard of the KKK, and damn does he tap into some weaselly greasy creepy shit and it's perfect like i said he does such a great job everyone in this movie is amazing and like i said adam driver's scenes were really well done and do we want to spoil the last quote-unquote ending well, well before that let me also say that my second because my favorite scene is that one I mentioned before, but there's a scene where uh, the main character, I'm not going to go into how or when, but he touches David Duke, like physically oh, that touches was perfect. him. And that the, was perfect. Yeah. And that scene is so good. I, I literally was like standing. like, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, he does such a great job of making you hate. Him. Yeah. Now the, you should. they're goddamn racists. Yeah, now, I shouldn't have to explain to you why you hate these. We we will not spoil the ending because I think it's. I didn't know that that was. I knew that the ending went crazy. I see that's what it did. I so. knew the ending was what the ending was. It had been spoiled for me. I didn't think anything about it. But talk about a gut punch! Like I knew what was going to happen. I was braced for it, and that was just took my breath away. And Slagathor was she was on the verge of tears, 
And you were just like, wow. Well, point is. That is uh, a perfect exclamation point to this movie. Yeah, point is, Chris said it when he was talking about it. But it was this movie that, like, it goes dark. It tells its story. And it's it's a dramedy. It's It can be funny, but it's really. Oh, yeah, there's dramedy. some great jokes in there. And then you, you reach a point where it's like, you, you know, you understand the message. And then it's like, all right, now that you, we have the message bring it to there's a reason why we're telling you this message like it's not just to have it out there there's an important reason why i made this movie and here's why and it's encapsulated very well and i don't want to say any more about it yeah no ghost this is a fantastic movie which does honestly deserve award consideration yeah now personally i like sorry to bother you a little more and boots riley himself uh said that he had some problems with essentially the lack of Black Klansman, which I think is interesting, but I think uh, Sorry to Bother You does, in general, the same thing better, in my opinion, but with your placement, I'm guessing you feel the opposite, so interesting no, that we can have that. I like Sorry to Bother You better, but Black Klansman is a better put-together movie. Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll chew on that. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Anyway, my number three is Searching, another one we talked about with Chris. I need to see this one, because everyone's talking about how great a movie is. And- yes. Honestly, I don't think I would have seen it if I had not heard so many positive reviews because it's it's such an interesting premise for a movie. Well, the problem is that there have been other movies that do this premise and sucked. Like, what was it, Unfriended a few oh. years back? So, the and premise... Unfriended 2, The Dark Web. God. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the premise, obviously, to anyone who does takes place on a computer screen. Not... not uh, behind a guy on a computer screen, like it literally is the computer screen. It's like and, all screens, isn't it? Just yeah, it's just and only like two different screens throughout the whole. Uh, it's generally just one screen. Um, but uh, I think one time the phone gets used. Anyway, though, point is that when I saw the trailer, I thought it looked dumb, and then I started hearing positive reviews, so I went and saw it. The movie had me basically crying in the first fifteen minutes, and then it. Turns into a kind of bog standard mystery, but it does really interesting things to make it fresh. And then at the end, it does some things to subvert your expectations of said mystery that are really good from a narrative perspective. And the whole way through, it finds brilliant uses for its gimmick to convey emotion and narrative in ways that I just didn't expect. It's it's it it's probably no no it is I think the most well put together and ambitious film. I saw this year. That's what I've been hearing. I want to see it. Like I said, one, not a lot of movies come to my theater, unfortunately, because of the town I live in. And two, it's hard to find babysitting to go see movies. Understandable. It, it's really, and for me, that sucks because I love movies. There are so many movies I've missed out on this year, and this is one of them. Yep, yep. I, I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's funny, no. this movie also talks because... My, I, the older I've got, I think the, the less macho bullshit I, I have to deal with in my personality, right? Like, you know, when you're a teenager and you're a teenage guy, you got to be this certain level of like, yeah, I'm tough or whatever the hell you want to call it. And the older I get, the more I've gotten away from that. So I feel like I've allowed myself to be more emotional with movies in general. But this movie taught me that it still has a matter of like different tastes. Cause I went and saw it with my girlfriend and, she wasn't like nearly as emotional as me, but I've seen her like lose her goddamn shit over like television deaths that meant nothing to me. <laughs> so it's just so it's just a matter of like 
how something personally affects you. I guess. This found the right way in. This this is uh for this was for you. What won't you be a neighbor was for me? It found the right combination of buttons. Yes, especially in that first fifteen minutes. Like I said, I really want to check this one out, and if all the hype is true, this one will probably end up on my best of 2019 list. I am afraid it might be overhyped for you because I've learned that people's opinions, but I do think you should see it anyway, just because it's a marvel, like you know what they did. So yeah, no, like I said I'm really excited to see this one. Anyway, uh, my number three was the Big Sick. I don't even know what that is. See, here's the thing about this one. This one was on everybody's top 10 list last year, and I had no idea how to find it. I had ah. no idea where it was. Turns out this is an Amazon Prime exclusive movie. Okay. It is a rom-com, which I think we can both agree are kind of tricky to get right. Uh, very rarely are they gotten right, so yeah. Yes, about how the comedian uh, Kual, Kual Nanjiani... Oh, this is stuff. this is the this is the movie that Kamel Nanjiani. I know about this from uh, Kamel talks about it in Harmontown. Okay. Yes, this is an amazing movie. It's about how he met his wife. Um, she helped him write it, so it's semi-factual, and it is incredible. I have watched this movie at least three times this year because I enjoy it so much. Um, and I guess it's because I kind of relate to it in a lot of ways. I'm not going to go into details about how that is, but if you know the story of me before I met Slagathor and the story of me and Slagathor, it makes a lot of sense. Hey, man, I'm just glad the movie's good because I like Kamel Nanjiani as a person and I want him to be successful. Yeah, no, this movie is incredible. Uh, the rundown is he's a comedian in Chicago. He's is he in Chicago? I think it's Chicago. Anyways, anyway. he's, uh, you know... Struggling to make it as a comedian, he falls in love with this girl, and shortly into his relationship, they have a big fight, and she ends up with what appears to be a terminal disease, or she goes into a coma. Okay. And he's not sure what he wants to do, because they ended on this big fight, and he's a comedian, and he's not really sure what he wants to do with his life, and he's kind of aloof, and a bit of, well, I don't say a bit of a womanizer, but he still, you know, wants these things. But he's been drawn into this whole thing with her, and his parents are very traditional Pakistani. They want him to marry a Pakistani woman. It is an incredible, it's a dramedy in a lot of ways. There's not a lot of jokes outside of the ones he tells, because there's a lot of heavy drama. But it is, I think, two and a half hours long, and the pacing is so good, and the movie is so engrossing. If you haven't seen this movie, go see it. And I really resent that it is locked behind Amazon Prime's ambiguous originals. Well, my sister has Amazon Prime. We've been watching Miss Maisel. Which is incredible. Yeah, um, I'll see if she can watch this with me next time. Yes, go watch The Big Sick. It is an incredible movie, and I see why it made so many people's lists uh, for 2017. Um, Ray Romano's in it. He's hilarious. There's not. I can't really talk about this movie a lot because I don't want to spoil big parts of it. Hmm. But uh, I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought. Well, my number two for the year, which, by the way, was my number one for the year for about six months, basically up until last week, which is kind of unfair because I'm differently, but I can only tell you what I feel right now. Anyway, my number two for the year is Isle of Dogs. And the best way to talk about this is simply to say, if you like Wes Anderson movies, you'll like this. And that's kind of unfair. See, but that's, that's what I wanted to know because I 
cannot stand Wes Anderson movies. Then you probably but won't like it. This looked interesting, but my hatred of Wes Anderson film. Oh, just like uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor pushes all the happy buttons, Wes Anderson pushes all the rage buttons. Which is fine. Wes Anderson is one of the most idiosyncratic directors currently working. He has a style that is definitely his own, and if mm -hmm. you like it, then you love his work. And if you don't like it, then you won't like his work. It's like a nail that. in the brain. So I, I will literally not hold it against anyone for not liking Wes Anderson films because it's very, it's very stylized to be a very specific kind of movie, right? So Isle of Dogs still has all those very Wes Anderson-isms. Like it, uh, I didn't, I've never seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, so I can't compare it to that. But, you know, I love uh, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, and Moonrise Kingdom is my favorite Wes Anderson film. But anyway, so Isle of Dogs, right? Brian Cranston kills it as we all knew he would as the the lead dog how did that man languish security for so long i i don't know but i always i loved him back in malcolm i know that's what i mean he was great in malcolm in the middle but it just like you see what he does in breaking bad and a lot of these big movies how did we you know have you and not use you sooner <laughs> i mean he was on power rangers for god's sake yeah but so one of the things i love about isla dog is that Wes Anderson has this habit, right, of con composing his movies a series of stills, which I, it sounds like, okay, every director does that, but I feel like Wes Anderson has a better eye for shot composition than 99% of people in the world, like in general. Like, he'll do this thing, um, it seems very simple, but how he does it is brilliant, where, like, the camera will be in a very specific place, and all the dogs will do that thing that animals sometimes do where they all like look up and then look somewhere at the same time. So I'll have all the dogs like raise their heads and they're positioned at this very satisfying distance from each other and head heights from each other. And they'll all turn to look at left at the same time. And it like, it's just a gorgeously shot sequence and I can't really explain, but it is one of those things where it just, it, it's, it's like emotionally satisfying for the senses to see this kind of thing. And then the fact that it's also on top of a, a very interesting is smarter than I am. Like, I feel like there's more going on in the story than I'm capable of really dissecting. There's a lot of metaphors at play here and a lot of personal characterization. Like I said, the Brian Cranston character, the dog goes through a very fascinating arc that I love seeing, but uh, I, I love dogs for me ticked every like proper box to be like just a great it's it's visually beautiful i love that it does its thing with like it's super colorful but at the same time it's really grungy because garbage i love that i even love the edward norton dog he's one of the interesting kind of characters himself but there's this line that i can't describe why it's so great but the edward norton dog just looks at this kid and delivers the line we get it you're looking for your dog spot that's the line, but something about the way he delivers it in context of the movie was one of the most brilliantly delivered lines I've seen all year, and I can't explain why. It just it hits this perfect uncanny valley of like acting and real and stage, and because you know obviously the whole thing is made up to be like a stage, it's like a kabuki play. Uh, but anyway, I loved Isle of Dogs. I'm not recommending it to you, Ulrich, because if you don't like Wes Anderson, I don't think you'll like it. But, no, I want to watch it because stylistically it looks interesting, but I know I cannot stand Wes Anderson. I've tried so many times with him. He just the, His style of filmmaking annoys me on so many levels. Which is fine. I literally don't feel the need to defend it because it's very much a... He's a divisive director. 
Yeah, I, exactly. I think that's a fair statement to make. And I know I'm not, I feel confident about liking me. No, there's plenty of other people like, yeah, I know he's a good director, but I cannot stand the man. So here, here's what I'll say. If, if you like Wes Anderson films, then 99% sure you've already seen this movie. If you don't like Wes Anderson films, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Probably skip it unless, like Ulrich, you find the style really interesting. But if you're ambivalent, I say I'm going to push you towards give it a try because it, like, it, I love it. Nothing so ventured, much. nothing gained. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. All right. Uh, my number two, which is probably going to surprise a lot of people. I don't know. Uh, Black Panther. I already talked about it. So you go ahead. I struggled a lot with where to place this movie because, as Axel said, this is a great movie. This is an important movie. And again, mother loving battle rhinos. I feel so, like you're very stuck on that. But <laughs> because battle rhinos are awesome. Yes, but there's a lot of awesome things in Black Panther besides that. But battle rhinos. I want a battle rhino. I mean, the only thing cooler than a battle rhino is a battle monkey. And that's just because monkeys are instantly 10% cooler. Monkeys. I don't okay, we're fingers. moving on from that. <laughs> They got the tail. You put spike on it. Anyways, um, so yeah, I went back and I rewatched my number one and my number two, and I ran it through my own personal filter to try and figure out okay, what divides these two movies? And the number, the thing, the reason Black Panther isn't number one is because the second act drags a bit. Okay. That is my only real criticism. Is going back and watching is like. Wow, about halfway through the second act, this movie just kind of slows down and it's kind of, the first act is so awesome and the third act finale is so awesome, but that middle bit just kind of just, I don't know how to say, but it drags a bit. Plus there's the whole betrayal, treason by friend that I still kind of struggle with. We talked about this in our review of, uh, go check yeah. that out for more details. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is a fantastic movie and I think Black Panther 2 is going to blow this one out of the water. One, because I think it's not going to have the budget drain. Because this movie, there's a couple repeated effects that are, you know, you can tell like, no, no, no. We need this money to animate Thanos's chin. So, mm. um, I, and this movie made all the money. So they're going to give it all the money for a sequel. Um, again, I don't think we can overstate the cultural importance of this movie. Also, I think it's important to note that neither one of us are in position where we can accurately talk about the cultural importance of this movie. But No, we're both wider than snow. <laughs> but I'd like to say uh, that I think I can disappear into a white background. <laughs> yes, but I'd like to say I think we can appreciate. <laughs> oh yeah, visually this is a stunning movie. Action-wise, this is a stunning movie. Being only one of like what is this his third or fourth movie? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe. He's really new, and he's only a couple years older than us, which is really impressive that he's pulled this off. Um, I love this movie, and it ultimately came down to between my first and second. If I run it through the filter, which movie, what, what, what kind of things kind of hang up for me? And uh, did I have any, you know, as you so eloquently put it, uh, fist punch the moments where I'm just like, yeah! And uh, outside of Battle Rhinos, and of course, all the awesome uh, references to uh, African uh, tribal culture, like the Zulu stick fighting and the chanting in the various languages. Hmm. Um, there's lots of fun stuff in this. I love this movie, but I just didn't love it as much as my number one. Which I know it's unfair of me and maybe a little selfish, but considering I know what your number one is first. What was that? I said, I know it's a bit unfair and a bit suffering. I know what your number one is. Can we do yours first? Yeah, uh, let's go through our honorable mentions real quick. Oh, yeah, that too. 
Well, my honorable uh, mentions real quick before you do yours, just the, the ones that were just about in my top 10 but were pushed out. Uh, Christopher Robin, live-action Winnie the Pooh with a hook style, well, hook uh, of older Christopher Robin. Very good. Had to be tearing up. Jim Cummings is great. Rampage, they gave me The Rock and Giant Monsters Fighting. Awesome. Best video game movie of all time. And the last one I'll say for my uh, honorable mentions is Blockers, which I was surprised. There's only one scene that I couldn't really watch because it was too raunchy. It involves John Cena and a beer chugging contest. Yeah, that doesn't that, go the way that, you think. Uh, we'll, we'll but that scene aside, the movie is touching, real, and hilarious. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's one character who starts off seeming like the biggest asshole, and then you real and then you they show you more about him, and it's a great exercise in hey. People are three-dimensional, and understanding their perspective is important understanding who they are. Don't just jump to conclusions, a-hole. Yeah. There, those are my honorable mentions. Uh, my honorable mentions are Before We First Met, which is another great rom-com on uh, Netflix. It's about this, we'll call him a schlub, because that's what he is, who finds a time-traveling kissing booth that allows him to travel back in time to fix his missed opportunity, you know, the one that got away. And it doesn't end like you thought it would. And it's a great kind of deconstruction about the whole idea of the one that got away. Um, The First Purge. This is not a good movie, but this is so much fun in just the, do you get the message? Do you get the message? Do you get the message? You don't get the message? Gestapo. Hmm. Um, A Quiet Place. Uh, Tension-wise, this is an incredible movie. Action, really good. Um... I will say A Quiet Place is 10 times better if you see it in a theater. Because you oh, can, I'm sure it is. Yeah, you can uh, feel the audience. I love this movie, but it didn't stick with me, unfortunately. Um, the Founder. This is a movie I'm surprised McDonald's allowed because it tells the story of how the founder of McDonald's screwed over everybody to get what he wanted. Plus, it's you know Michael Keaton basically pulling a social network. And yeah, no, this is uh, I I loved it. it. I can't believe McDonald's okayed this. I'm waiting for the Sam Walton. <laughs> That'll be fun. Um, blockers. Uh, this movie spoke to me on a lot of levels because I am a father and I have a daughter. And before I saw this, everyone that saw me was like, "Man, you are totally going to be John Cena." And I'm like, "Okay." And then I oh. watched it, and I'm sitting there with going, "Yeah, I see it." Well, that's great because I'm probably going to be that other dad. Oh no. <laughs> No. Um, hey, hey, I'll seem like an asshole at first. Once you get my hair, my- <laughs> maybe. Uh, my favorite joke was, uh, "Tell us where our daughters are." My overly muscled friend will rip you limb from limb. Overly muscled? What do you mean? <laughs> John yeah. Cena is an amazing comedic talent. Who knew? Well, uh, after after with after Batista being Drax, I'm more open to wrestlers being comedians. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. This one really warred with tag, but tag just kind of had the emotional hook for me so this one kind of went out um last flag flying another amazon prime exclusive that you need to see um this is brian cranston uh lawrence fishburne and i'm always forgetting his name he played michael on the office steve carell um this is a great movie about uh veterans and trauma and getting over trauma and then last but not least, the one that will catch me the most flack, and I regret to say it, Hereditary. Um, this is an incredible movie. It, though, is not a horror movie. Everyone keeps talking about, oh, this was the scariest horror movie of all time. Um, 
as you all know, Slagthor and I are huge horror movie junkies, and at no point were we really afraid. Um, there are two scenes that are just grab the edge of the table and go, what the was that? Um, but in the end, it just, it wasn't scary. Um, and I, I, like I said, I liked it, but it didn't really make, I'm not going to watch this movie again. I mean, yeah. for all the beautiful cinematography and all the great acting and writing, there's so much good about this. And it almost, this one comes so close to knocking a lot of the movies out, which is why I'm going on about it so long. Hmm. It just, the fact that it wasn't a scary movie for me and it didn't, you know, make me think like, say, It Follows does. Well, um, anyone anyone who's been paying attention keep this will notice that yours has a big, gaping, obvious hole in it. So why don't you fill it? Uh, yeah, my number one film is Infinity War because I like big, punchy movies and I love superhero movies. And I am I kind of feel a little bit ashamed about it. But at the same time, I love this movie. This is so much fun. This makes me smile ear to ear. And um, I can't find anything about this movie I don't like. That Again, I, when I compared it to Black Panther, there is literally nothing about this I don't like. Thanos is done well. Um, the ending, which I know a lot of people are like, oh, we know they'll all be back. Get out of here, okay? In the context of the story, these deaths matter. In the current... Uh, I don't want to go into that one. That one angers me well the the criticism that like some death or something like that is meaningless in the context of the the piece because of some other piece i don't like that like for instance colson right oh sure he shows been ages of shield that doesn't take away from the emotion emotionally yeah the characters and they're fictional characters so technically their death doesn't matter but my gods above spider-man's scene nearly broke me Yes. And when you find out that was all improv, you're like, oh man, Tom Holland, that boy's going some places. Yes. Yes. Um, Again, the fact there were so many moving pieces that had to come together and kind of the wariness that Age of Ultron left us all with, like, oh, these Avengers movies can be just okay. Hmm. Um, And Thanos being such a weird, and they did such a great job adapting Thanos. And I love it because uh, Krug and I have talked. It's like, you know, some days you you see something on the internet or you're walking down the street and you go, maybe Thanos was right. You know, you know what's funny with, with that movie? I feel like the closest thing problem is Thor's storyline, but they smartly continue the trend Ragnarok set by making Thor more comedic and everything he's doing uh more joke heavy than the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah so. but it, it's more balanced and again all these characters the action scenes are awesome i mean thanos throws a moon down ah this is just pure bliss this is my happy go-to movie and also dr strange and tony stark sniping at each other is... well dr strange being dr strange and getting to be Use magic instead of, as you put it, just stop punching each other. You have magic. Use the magic. Oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, I think I talked <laughs> about that during Strange and Thanos fight, and they're actually, like, doing magic at each other. I was super well, happy. Well, that's been, like, the number one criticism I see a lot of people saying. It's just two dudes punching each other. Like, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's laser beams and mystic force fields and 50 Kent Benedict Cumberbatches that... Well, yeah. that, uh, joke. that that criticism of people just punching each other is more aimed uh, definitely better levied at the netflix series which have that problem but yeah no i love this movie this movie makes me happy i watch this movie a lot that is why it's my bet my favorite movie of the year 
fair enough, fair enough. Like, like I said, I uh, I loved Infinity War too. I just didn't emotionally stick with me as much as a bunch of other or as my other movies. So, do you have any concluding statements? Number one, you're free to have a concluding statement. For uh no. This was an incredibly tough choice. There are a literal ton of movies I have not yet got to see this year, either because it didn't come to me, I didn't know about it, or, again, trying to find a babysitter is tricky. Yeah. Um, I got to give a special shout-out to Black Klansman, which I watched kind of last minute, and it just strode in like, oh, nice top ten you got here. It would be a shame if somebody screwed it all up. Well, you know, that's exactly what happened with like I said, I don't know. I think Isle of Dogs came out back in like April or March or something. So for basically the entire year, or most of the year, Isle of Dogs was sitting comfortably at number one. Like, yeah, I belong here. And then last week, I went and saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Which I'm it, dying to see, and I know I'm not going to get to see yeah. this year. And, and that movie literally kicked the fuck out of my list. It was like, now this is my throne, bitch. <laughs> Excited, uh, real quick, are you excited for the sequel they've announced? Oh, oh, in, in infinitely. Like, it was not even a contest. When I saw that movie, I, I I came home and I looked at my list and I was like, where does this go? There's There was no deliberation. It's like, it goes right at the top. That's where it belongs. That's what I'm hearing. I'm super excited to see this one. And I'm not even a Spider-Man fan. You, on the other hand, I think you say times are a huge Spider-Man fan. So I'm, I'm a go ahead, sing this movie's praises. Tell us yeah. why it's the best. Well, that's why, like, when I said Ama The Amazing Spider-Man is one of my most hated movie of all time, and I'm in the, I know I'm in the minority when I, but Homecoming just was okay for me. Like, you're gonna was, go join Movie Bob on that hill. Yeah, sure, but I, I totally agree with Movie. He can use that, the company. Yeah, yeah. So Homecoming is fine. It's enjoyable, but it's just okay. Actually, my favorite explanation of why I feel the way comes from High Top Films, which is a YouTube channel I just recently discovered. He talks about how, like, in Homecoming, there's basically no consequences for anything Peter does. Like, oh, he ditches his friends. They let him back in. Everything's fine. He ditches his friend at a party, and next day they make up for it. Everything's fine. He ditches the girl at Homecoming, and, oh, they're fine. Everything's fine. Like, real Peter Parker in a real Spider-Man story, every one of those things would be like a lasting consequence of another like problem in Peter's life because Peter Parker's a character defined by shit going wrong. Anyway, that Fair enough. that feeling though is so much more on display in this movie. Just one of many many things this movie does absolutely right. So, for anyone who somehow missed the boat on this, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is Sony finally figuring out how to make a great movie with the Spider-Man license. It's an animation. <laughs> Hand it over to the guys at Lego. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an animation, but it is first of all, the animation style they've chosen to use is literally the most I've ever felt like a comic book movie turned into animation. Yeah, like, I love that art style for that exact reason. Yeah, and they they actually do some great things with it. Like so the since the premise, the movie file follows Miles Morales, one of the only two good things that come out of the Ultimates line of Marvel Comics, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I'll fight with you on that. <laughs> so Miles Morales is a new Spider-Man, half black, half uh, Cuban, Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican? I, I'm I not sure. I don't, I don't know the details, but he South lives American. In... <laughs> we'll cover we'll cover our bases with the continent. Works, right? uh, anyway, he lives in uh, New York, obviously because Spider-Man live in New York, and the Kingpin. And again, they show this pretty early. Is running some uh, experiments that cause essentially a portal to open to parallel universes. And 
five other Spider-Mans, versions of Spider-Man, show up, including a uh, past his prime Peter Parker from, like, you know, the one you know and love, but uh, also Gwen Stacy from Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman, Ghost Spider, whatever you want to call her. And so those are our our three main characters that are, like, serious. But then we get Spider-Man Noir, who's from a universe where it's 1930 and there is no color. So Voiced by... Voiced by Nicolas Cage. And he is amazing. Yeah, that's what I've heard. We have Penny Parker, who's from a Marvel universe where it's the year 3200, and she pilots a spider mech. And she comes... Oh, by the way, this is my point. Spider-Man Noir is Sin City comic. Penny Parker is drawn like an anime character. And then we have uh, the Spider-Ham, who's basically a funny cartoon talking animal. Think like And he's voiced by... John Mulaney, who's a great comedian. He's a freaking hilarious man. Nah, uh, yeah. I love the cast. This is a great cast they drew together. Yeah, so you've got six versions of Spider-Man. It's basically the Avengers with Spider-Man. You've got yeah. great animation. You've got great action scenes. The villains are Kingpin, the Spider-Man rogues galley well. Like a few other villains show up. I'm not going to spoil it, but they're great. Uh, the The cast is all great. The what? What sets this movie apart from just being uh, a great movie to like an, an amazing movie, and I'm using that specifically, is also that the whole story never pulls away from Miles. Like it, Miles is really the core of this. Watching because uh, the the theme is about, in a lot of ways, finding who you are, figuring out who you are. Because even before he gets bitten, Miles is having difficulty figuring out who he is and who he's supposed to be. And just like a proper Spider-Man story, getting powers doesn't fix his problems. It actually makes them all worse. Yeah, I'm waiting for Marvel to announce and introducing. They, they set it up in Homecoming and uh, Sony's yeah, going to wait. This, this is a great movie that is also a great Spider-Man movie. And there's it's funny because there's this thing it does that is almost repetitious, but is different enough every time. Because every time a new Spider-Man is introduced... He does like a, okay, here's my backstory. And it is hilarious. Like every time they find ways to make, it's a basically a recurring uh, motif that works extremely well. But yeah. it's, the movie's got a lot of heart at it. I hate that phrase because it's so hacky. Like, oh, the movie has heart, but it, it really does. Like Miles' relationship with his dad and his uncle is really strong and with not a whole lot of scenes. Like he only gets like one scene with his uncle, but you really understand like how they connect. Meanwhile, he gets about one, you know, real scene with his dad before that um, you know relationship is strained essentially and again in that scene you get a an understanding of how his dad and him like interact a lot uh there's this moment where miles is first getting his powers and he's going through the school and like and it's doing the thing where fucking his thought bubbles appear in like yellow text like in a comic which is brilliant but he's also thinking things that you don't have to be a superpowered person to understand like literally at one point like thinking my thoughts are so loud. Everyone, can they hear my thoughts? And and uh, my girlfriend was like, I've had those thoughts go through my head, like while being in school. You know, <laughs> like, oh, I didn't have those thoughts while I was school. There have been other situations, but uh, we're not going to go into those. But I am. I'm just so happy to finally have a great Spider-Man movie. It's been not since since Spider-Man two was the last time we had a great Spider-Man movie. And by the way, this movie also does a great job of paying homage to the Raimi films, like not anything over the top, but 
it, there's just a couple little scenes where it's like, oh, it's it's admitting or it's acknowledging their you know importance and their presence, which you know considering that Spider-Man is basically the first of the modern age of comic book movies as far as i know <laughs> blade <laughs> no no blade was basically doing a matrix like thing it was not really uh not the same level of comic movies we're doing now like spider-man i'm not arguing with you i'm just getting that out there so we have less of an angry mob in the comments he oh, yeah. didn't talk about blade oh, no, he didn't oh, talk no. about x-men either well you know what x-men isn't that good anymore well no, that's the things like blade and x-men came out before spider-man obviously but they are not what I'm talking about when I say the modern age of comic book and super. I will say so. it for you. Spider-Man is better than X-Men and Blade 1. Not Blade 2, though, but that's I'm a no bias. I'm not going to go into that because I love Spider-Man. But I, we're talking about this movie, Into the Spider-Verse. Another thing, this has hands down my favorite end credit scene since Iron Man 1's end credit scene. And that one was because it, you know, like opened up the floodgates on possibilities. But this one is just amazing. <laughs> I'm going to keep using that word because, you know, Spider-Man. But goddamn, this movie is so uh Gwen Stacy is so great. And I love that they never make uh, her death like part of her character. Like she is. So we're going to have a whole generation of people who only really know her from this because, you know, listen a minute, Spider Gwen is still a pretty obscure character. But now with this movie, like you're going to have people. She's got a sequel coming. So I know. And I'm super hyped for that because she's great Along in this with movie. Silk. Holy hell. Who would have thought Silk was going to end up in a Spider Man movie? And I would even watch Spider a Spider Man noir, just him and his universe. I feel like chances are it probably wouldn't be that great because. The you know it'd be pretty one note, but he's so enjoyable. Okay, so let DVD me just say short. This. Put it on a DVD as a short. Remember how I said he's drawn like a Sin City character? He's yeah. so he's totally in black and white. He gets his hands on a Rubik's cube. Oh man! There, I will not spoil the joke any more than that. But <laughs> I want to see this movie so bad. Yeah, this, I I love this movie. I will sing its praises to the heavens. It is easily by and far my favorite movie of the. And the fact that I am a huge Spider-Man fan definitely makes me biased. I don't, but I think it, even for someone who isn't a deep or Spider-Man fan, this is just a really, really great movie, and it deserves to be seen on those merits alone. All right, so there you have it: our favorite, best, whatever you want to call it, movies of 2018. I think overall we can agree this was a fantastic year for film. Now, normally we would do suggestions of the week, but We've already gone really long, so why don't we just use our movies that as suggestions of the week? Like, if you haven't seen any of these movies, we suggest seeing them all. <laughs> yeah, except oh, even the bad ones. I want you to go out and see these bad ones, so maybe you can tell me why Pacific Rim Uprising is a good movie. You, you uh, have an up, you have an uphill climb to convince us. Ooh, of that. That, that that actually hurt to say. Ah, oh. uh, thank you again for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, apologies to my mother for all the swearing. I know she listens and frequently critiques well, us on I, it. <laughs> I should be the one who's apologizing because I swear <laughs> more than you do. But uh, I also, I will say, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse is only just in theaters like a week. So, And it is good enough to deserve your full price ticket money. So That's saying you know. something. Axel is a dollar store, a dollar uh, theater. I am. Normally I wait until I can see something really cheap, but I spent full money for two tickets on an Spider-Verse and I would do it again and I'd recommend anyone else do it because this movie deserves your money. 
It really does. <laughs> so be sure to like and share this video so that people can hear Axel sing the praises of Into the Spider-Verse. And you can go over to SoundCloud and also hear me sing praises there if you're not currently listening to this on SoundCloud. With no commercials. Yes, indeed. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.